Hi listeners and welcome back. Today we're going to have our final podcast in the mental health and the built environment series. I'm Emmy and I'm here with three other professionals today. Mary, Caroline, Keely. And we're going to be discussing the holistic effects of the built environment on mental health. Caroline, would you please explain to our listeners what the built environment is? Of course. The built environment includes all the physical parts of where we live and work. And so today we're going to be focusing on five main areas, which include housing, education, employment, environment, and personal health. And Mary, you're discussing the policy realm. That's right, Caroline. Due to the overwhelming state of mental health in America, current policy needs change. The overarching goal for successful mental health policy is to provide what people need to live the lives that they want and to remember that all people can take on meaningful roles in the community despite their mental health challenges. For instance, let's discuss housing and how that can be uh, contribute to mental health. Yeah, I think from my stance of looking at environmental exposures, just where you live can have so much of an impact of what you're exposed to and you can't really control that. If you don't have the money to move, you're stuck with the pipes that you have, whether they are putting lead into your water and if your children are drinking that water. um, Just the day-to-day struggles of experiencing that can be so huge. And that's one thing that I didn't really think about before looking into all of these topics with environmental exposures and where you live and how you can't change that. Caroline, that's really interesting. What type of mental health outcomes do you think correlate to living in an environmental exposure area? If I were to guess, I would say chronic anxiety because if you are just, say you're a mom and your kid needs to take a bath but that water is contaminated with lead, you have the decision of is your kid going to be dirty or are they going to bathe in toxic water? And I just can't imagine the stress that that puts on a mother or father to have to make that decision every day. That sounds really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. I think it would go a little bit further to even trust. If you move to a new environment, do you trust their water? If they say they fix your water, do you trust them? And how do you rebuild that trust? No, I totally agree with that, Um, especially seeing as so many state and federal agencies are in charge of either testing the water or placing safe limits. And policy is Mm -hmm. a really important play into that. Emmy, what do you have to say about the destructed environment and housing? I'd say that it's a major issue because depending on the type of destruction you're living in or fleeing, you maybe don't even have housing. And if you do have housing, you might be really concerned with, is it going to fall on you in the middle of the night? Are you really safe from um, attacks from terrace or from overhead? Like how thick are your walls? Can they stop? rounds that are flying? Can they save you from gas exposure, which has been a major issue in Syria? So it's a it's a really large issue. And then when you leave that area and you don't have any housing, imagine trying to feel any sense of security or belonging as you're just fleeing. Mm, that's very true. And, and Keely, after a natural disaster, are there uh, housing issues that arise that can affect mental health? Well, you know, I think that, you know, your house is your cocoon, your security. Everything you own is there. All the people that you 
you know, spend your day-to-day -day time with your loved ones, they're there too. So I think it's heavy burden of anxiety and stress mm -hmm. that these folks go through all the time. And then not to know, I mean, even if you were going to bring your pets into it, you know, every, like I said, everybody's there that you love. And how can you keep them all safe? So that's one thing in terms of your housing. Yeah, and, and kind of back on a, a governmental policy issue, um, just in um, Houston, uh, came out came to light that the flooded districts uh, from Harvey had been flooded previously in 2001, so 14 years prior to the um, Hurricane Harvey flooding, and it was a floodplain, and it, they knew it was a floodplain, but yet they developed it into housing without proper drainage. Mm -hmm. So as you seek new housing, how do you get the right answers? Who do you go to 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 seek the information that you need to make sure that your house is not in a floodplain um, that can have catastrophic? Well, I think you're exactly flooding. right. I mean, you know, you're trying to get good information for how to proceed. How do you have your your insurance needs? You know, feeding your family. All those things are extremely stressful. Um, and there's some things that you might not be able to do anything about. I mean, if we think about the hurricane in Puerto Rico, people that needed care. So imagine if somebody's you know not able to breathe or they need they need medication daily. Those things won't ha be happening. And so you have to love watch them suffer and decline. Yeah, and I think that all of those things really tie into just how. Um, something that's so seemingly simple because it's a part of our everyday life of going home to somewhere that it has you know four walls and you feel secure but not realizing that if you were to lose that how much stress would be placed on you and how much of that is intangible to other people because it's just mental stress that's constantly wearing at you creating this deep sense of anxiety and often leading to depression if the problem isn't fixed or you know, Caroline, in your example, of, I would imagine that depression for mm -hmm. people who can't move is, is one of the outcomes. Yeah. But also, you know, for me or for Keely with a natural disaster, people who are also struggling with post-traumatic stress due to how they lost their housing. And this is something that's just so taken advantage of that how many people you know feel the stress of having to try and keep their house clean versus having to to lose it so it's it's interesting to think about the, all the elements of housing that yeah, exactly. help. and I mean even if you're thinking about here we live in the state of Florida we go to bed every night you know like our house is going to be safe you know problems uh <clears throat> my house is on a sinkhole so immediately oh. you know my house is like not worth as much as it should be and there was, uh, some years ago, a couple of years ago, there was a fella asleep in his bed. Oh, I remember he that died. story. They never found him. Oh. I mean, no. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was near, like three or four years ago. It's yeah, just tragic. Spot. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and then you cannot go back to your house. Mm -hmm. You can't save anything. Yeah, that would be know. tragic. Right. And uh, Emmy, you had brought up um, kind of the educational um, components that can relate to not having proper housing. So oftentimes teachers after a natural disaster, they um, 
and a drive to get everybody back to normal, to have that sense of normalcy after these catastrophic events. They reopen schools, but yet teachers don't have a place to shower. They don't have a place to sleep. So they're not in the best uh, situation to lead these children. But the children and their families are going oftentimes through the same thing. So they're sleeping in the cafeteria, but then they go to their classrooms. And so all of that is ultimately going to affect uh, the mental health uh, of those um, built environments uh, where the schools are just trying to push forward as fast as they can, but maybe a little bit more time yeah. is necessary to make sure that the situations are... And in a natural uh, disaster, you're, you're really sort of counting on the school yeah. or some, place, some public facility to be uh, one of the shelters, but maybe those children, are, the roads aren't accessible. Yeah. Maybe there's mm-hmm. not a way to get there. And so they're not even at the school, you yeah. know. And while we're talking about education, is there anything that you would add that um, pertains to the mental health and the built environment? Any? Yeah, I think that as far as education goes in, in the destructed environment, it's extremely difficult to consider um, the long-term effects. Or it's not difficult, but it's important to discuss the long-term effects of children who are, you know, of refugee status, who have missed out on a lot of primary education as is in the process of fleeing the country and then they're arriving somewhere else and not only are people anxious and um, sometimes depressed because of everything that they've gone through and they're trying to deal with this stress but then they're also going through senses of culture shock and trying to kind of acculturate themselves to the new place all while trying to learn. And that's a really difficult task for anyone, but especially for children, and they are really resilient. But mm-hmm. when you think about education from the perspective of needing to go somewhere and then learn it in a second language, and then already being so right. behind, that think how that would feel against like your own self-worth and how that might be a real struggle to go through and and kids can be really mean I think we've maybe all experienced that Um, but so can adults and so the way that people deal with these children who are overcoming all these other hurdles and just trying to learn education in the destructed environment I think is really important and hopefully we'll figure out ways to deal with these populations who need to learn in a Right. Different environment. Right. You know, it's, it's important to note that um, students with learning disabilities or um, with educational setbacks are often the ones that uh, get expelled from school or they mm-hmm. fall into the incarceration pipeline, if you will, unnecessarily, but it's mainly because they're left behind in a way where no one, um, the policies don't allow them to maintain their um, culture within their classroom environment. Uh, is there anything that any you would like to add, Caroline? Yeah, I think you guys have made really good points. And for my stance from the environmental exposure point, it's a little bit different thinking where my thoughts are more curriculum-based about how we could better educate about um, the different types of exposures or just super fun sites in general. Because there's a whole database where you can see where they are. And yet, like we were mentioning about the trust with homeowners not telling you that you may be living on a Superfund site or near one. Um, Just things like that where if people had more self-efficacy to go and figure out where these sites may be and just to know that they have resources available to learn about exposures and what symptoms may look like, what type of pipes their community might be built with. 
um, things like that. If those resources were made readily available, I think that could definitely help. Caroline, I think that's such an interesting point, and you really show how vast a topic can be, whereas I'm gearing education towards you know, children, and you're talking about education of the population, and in my mind, and Keely helped me out here, but I feel like this all kind of leads back to Mary with policy. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. I mean, you know, when you think about education, I know, Caroline, you brought up, um, you know, education in terms of, you know, whether you're on the Superfund site and trust and things. Mm-hmm. So for natural disasters, you know, we want to pay attention, even though, you know, because there are all those people that want to stay and then they regret yeah. it later. Or, you know, pay attention to where you live. Are there sinkholes nearby and different other problems, the tornadoes, et cetera, et cetera. And And I I think that, you know, I know we fuss about the governor and all that, but I mean, you know, he did really make some good points in terms of, you know, helping us to stay safe during uh, some of these tragedies. I think that more education needs to be shared, especially in the natural disaster world, on what can be expected after the natural disaster. If you stay, you can expect that for six months, your life will be chaos. Right. And we might not be able to And we may not be able to reach you. I think that they're doing better, I think, with the increased uh, social media and um, kind of the news at your fingertips that, the, at least in the state of Florida, it seems like the governor is trying to make sure that he is on the news at all various times of the day to make sure that the information is being shared with the people who are listening, but you have to choose to listen. Exactly. And so how do you excite the population to take on their own personal responsibilities I think those actions. All of this is so great, and I just want to make sure that uh, I'm kind of tying all of this together with the mental health outcomes, but I hear that at each stage of life, it's really important that people are getting appropriate education, which obviously right. policy is going to play a part into, but it really seems like education from whether you're a child or an adult, that the outcomes can really be this feeling of, trust. you know, trust Respect. and a, a lack of self-worth a little mm-hmm. bit and how you feel secure with yourself, yes. but also your food security and your housing security, um, all of which really play a part in these social determinants of health and having you know, good overall mental health without all of this anxiety and stress. I mean, that was a great bridge into our next topic. I think we should discuss employment and how employment affects mental health in the built environment. I think that's a great idea. Caroline, um, how do you think that employment plays a role in environmental exposure with mental health? Yeah, I think as I was thinking through this, one thing that I noted was a lot of industrial jobs Um, have really high injury rates and also people are exposed to a lot more things working in these jobs and so if you don't really have a choice of what job you're going to do if you don't have very many options and you're kind of pigeonholed into doing um, a job or maybe it has good pay because some of them do offer nice benefits and salary so if you're exposed to something day in and day out or you have a high risk of injury I feel like that just puts a lot of mental stress on a person to go into work and, and not really have to sit at a desk or type, but you're potentially exposing your body to something that may cause chronic health issues later on. Absolutely. And I just never really thought of how that could affect a person. Um, what do you guys think about that? I think it's actually a really good example of a place that policy has changed and bettered 
the mental health outcomes in workers. When you go back to the Industrial Revolution and they had no cap on the hours and they were even letting kids work, but it was always these vulnerable populations who lived in slums and needed the jobs, right? Um, so I think that, that that's a really interesting take on it, especially when you look at some of the health outcomes with environmental exposure, um, like the chimney sweeps and scrotal cancer. So knowing that you've had friends dying, but you're still going to go do this job and then realizing that that's the health outcome. So now there are protections in place. Um, but even just having jobs where you're exposed to chemicals all day, I would imagine that I would be so tired at the end of my day that, or sick from my day, that I may not enjoy the other aspects of my life, which would really lower my quality of life. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. And especially with, it kind of ties into the destructed environment a little bit in migrant workers who work in the agricultural yes, yes. industry in the United States. Absolutely. Because nobody's following up with them and they have contact with these awful chemicals every day that have neurological problems um, resulting. And so we really don't know the extent to which those are affecting populations that are being exposed day in and day out. No, I fully agree with that, especially when you get people who ha are taking any job that they can to send remittances back because they're living in such war-torn areas or places where um, they're no longer war-torn but they're not fully recovered. And you know that they're working on farms where you know DDT is banned here in the United States, but there are still plenty of people who use it worldwide and they're coming into contact with that and we know the health outcomes that can can cause. So Caroline, I think that's a really great example. And Keely, I'm really curious about how natural disasters influence employment and vice versa. Well, if we, I, I think if we don't really quite look at, you know, the everyday life in terms of a, a person uh, if you're looking at just at their employment. So, for example, the hurricanes damaged the shrimp crop down in South Florida, and so those people have, are out of work. You know, our health, our agencies that are, are fire uh, and ambulance drivers, our hospital workers, they're working round the clock. They, the people trying to restore electricity, working around the clock uh, to try and help people out. And so I think that's a heavy burden there when they're trying to do that. Um, aside from the average person that isn't going to work because nothing's open, because there's nothing, no power. Um, I think also, you know, that means that we're looking at poor uh, social determinants of health uh, and the uh, no privacy, trying to stay on it all the time. So uh, there is a link to suicide in uh, partly due to post-traumatic uh, stress syndrome. Uh, you know, people really are having a tough time. And know? is that mostly because you'd say, not just did these people lose their job, which, you know, some people might have a job at a large corporation where they're going to be able to, you know, help them out or they know their job is going to come back. These are, are essentially self-employed fishermen who not only have they lost their job, they've literally lost their way of life and self-identity and, and home in many exactly. instances. I mean, wow. they've lost everything. So, and so again, it's, it's not affecting the big man to the extent that it's affecting the regular small guy. Which I think is one reason why policy is just the overarching topic that, that's really important in these things because a lot of the, the play is at the lower level. 
It is. It is at the lower level. And to the point of by the time somebody gets back on their feet to go back to work, that's usually when, uh, and maybe not in the fishing industry, but in the other industries, they're back at work, but that's when FEMA comes around and has their tent set up. Well, now you have to take time off of work to go apply for your assistance and your aid and your recovery. And I think there needs to be better push of getting that information and the access to where the people are so they aren't furtherly put into stress just trying to get their own aid and recovery. And I think that's just, it must be so difficult because really you have to have the infrastructure, which is, I mean, good for us here in the U.S. because we do have a lot of it. But when these natural disasters hit somewhere like Thailand or Indonesia that's just happened and the infrastructure is not there to deal with the population on that mass of a level, you have people who they're not even going to be able to recover their loved one and, and mourn their death the right way. Right. Um, so I think we're almost out of time today, but just to wrap up, Mary, what do you think moving forward are some key points in policy where we could really set up some programs and services to, to help these individual mental health outcomes that we see being affected by the built environment? I think the um, key to recovery in any of these situations is to focus on the climate and the culture surrounding the episode, if you will, and to set up an environment that is engaging the community, engaging the policy um, makers, engaging the stakeholders, and whoever that may be defined in your situation, um, encouraging a safe environment as well, um, getting that sense of security back, putting the trust back uh, into the populations that are being affected, and overall just rebuilding that environment um, that's going to have a sustainable uh, mental health recovery plan, I think should be part of the policy in any of these situations. Wow, that's great. Well, I want to thank the professionals for joining me today. And thank you listeners for tuning in to our Mental Health in the Built Environment series. Have a wonderful day.